Welcome to Life Changing Money, a podcast all about one of the most taboo topics in the world, money. I'm your host, Barbara Shrehan, and we're going behind the scenes on business owners' journeys to money, success, and wealth. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Life Changing Money podcast. I am so excited because I have Christy here today. Hello, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So tell everyone what it is that you do, because I think it's so interesting. Well, you could think of it as if you spent most of your days talking about sex, intimacy, and the issues we run into with relationships. That's how I spend my day. So how does one become like a professional in sex? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. It's definitely evolved over time. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and sex therapy is a specialization that some people go into. And when I was working so much with individuals and couples, I started noticing a lot of difficulties that people had in discussing intimacy. And then my own stuff came up as well with that. And so I decided I need a little bit more Uh, focus in this area if I'm really going to do the best service for people. And so then I went forward and there's a couple of states in the U.S. that require you to be a certified sex therapist, a certain type of certification. And then I went on to get my doctorate in it. So I literally have a doctorate in sex in clinical sexology. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Never thought I would be doing this in the first place, but here I am. That's so cool. So a doctorate in clinical sexology. Yep. So do you so in school, did you literally study sex or is it more <laughs> on like the intimacy side? Yeah, sex is definitely a big part of it, right? The different things that, you know, we run into clinically, whether there's some dysfunction, some problems, some issues, and then a host of issues that come up within relationships. But the intimacy is the bigger part. And I like to focus on that intimacy, which is connection. And there's so many different types of intimacy and physical intimacy, aka sex is one part of that. So just like we're whole beings, you know, we're a sexual being, but we're also an emotional being, a a relational being. So it's really interesting to look at all the different areas that it focuses on versus it always just being about sex. A lot of times it's a lot deeper than that in a different layer. Do you notice any like recurring themes with entrepreneurs and intimacy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And being an entrepreneur myself and having my own journey through it, definitely because as entrepreneurs, we one of the biggest parts of our identity is our work that we do in the communities and populations that we serve and the businesses that we're in. And we give so much to it, sometimes to a fault where we may be giving more into that work identity and that business versus our own personal relationships. And so what the goal is, is to find some type of evolving balance in your personal life and in that professional life. Because if we're giving it all to our clients we serve and the communities that we serve, and we're not taking care of our own relationships and intimacy and connection, we're going to be off balance and not really build that full life we're looking for. And every and another way too to look at it is as entrepreneurs, we're busy all the time. And one of the most common issues when it comes to sex in relationships is I'm too busy. I can't slow my mind down enough, or I'm just not in the mood. I need to work on this other thing, or there's a thousand other things on the list to do before the end of the day than to think about that physical connection with a partner or partners. A thousand percent. I feel like I hear from all my girlfriends, the, I have a million things on my mind, you know, and like, even when they're having sex, they'll be like, I'm thinking of like the dishes or cleaning the Mm -hmm. house or something like that. So what would be your tip? 
to get rid of those thoughts? Well, it can be tricky at first, but just like everything else is practice. Just like we start working out, it takes a little bit of time to get maybe not so sore when you're doing some type of new workout or routine. The same thing when it comes to sex is being gentle and graceful with yourself to say, hey, I'm not expecting to be in this space and have a mind blowing orgasm and have this incredible connection every single time. That's unrealistic for us. But to just say, if I can just be intentional and in my body, and if I can dial that overthinking down to maybe a two or three versus being at an eight, that's huge. And the more you practice and the more you'll be able to be intentional in the moment, the easier it gets because so much of even sex is up here between our ears. And if Mm -hmm. we can't quiet ourselves just a little bit to be in that moment, it's not going to be the kind of connection that we possibly want. And then also that rolls out on our partner or partners, like they're feeling that disconnection. They're the one saying, where's your head at? You're not here with me, even though you're physically with me. And that can definitely lead to a lot of issues. So I was in a mastermind one time and a speaker on stage was talking about sex and entrepreneurs. And there were both males and females in the audience. So they were talking about how much more men want to have sex than women for the most part, right? That's an assumption. But do you find that to be true in your practice? And if so, how do you help women want to have sex as much as their partner. (laughs) Well, you're right, Barbara, you're talking about it being an assumption that we think that that's the case. Majority, probably, yeah. But we also have to see that we evolve and change in different times that we're in our own relationships. Our our drive and desire may be higher than others. But if this kind of scenario where we're saying a lot of times it's the guys wanting sex more than maybe the girls wanting sex. And the way you kind of bridge that is to understand where majority are coming from. For guys, a lot of time, this is not, this is a generalization, but for most guys, sex for them is a way to kind of blow off steam, to relax. It just helps them relax and just be for a lot of women. Again, this is general, but for a lot of women, sex takes work because we have to get into our bodies. It's not as much a blow off steam and relax type of thing. We have to be a little bit more intentional. And with that being said, it can feel like more work to do and a showing up and carrying something else along that chore list that we have to get done. So if there is a discrepancy or difference in that desire or that drive, I would recommend people start with looking where you during the day when you think you're more apt to want to have sex or some type of encounter when it comes to sex. If you're thinking, wait a minute, I can't do anything before I get up and have a shower. I'm not even awake. That might be your time. Or maybe your partner says, no, I like it at the end of the day. And which I've always thought, who having sex at the end of the day in a long-term relationship, like people are exhausted, people have kids, but for some people, they like that because it helps them relax. So just having the conversation about when you would like to have sex, when would be more of an ideal time is a great way to kind of bridge a, a piece of that gap. And the other part of it is the recognizing that that actual sex happens way before you even end up in the bedroom, if that's where it's happening at. Where is the flirting? Where's the connection? Where's the trust at? Are you helping each other and supporting each other emotionally outside the bedroom? That's where that buildup and that really appreciation and gratitude comes in. And it definitely manifests when it comes to sex. Mm, so good. Do you think that cheating happens because the sex is bad or is there an underlying problem there? Well, it can happen for a lot of different reasons, but let's just take this example of cheating because maybe the sex is bad. 
when it comes down to it, it's really not even about the sex within the relationship dynamic. It's underneath it. It's this issue with trust and not just can I trust you or not, but more on the deeper level of emotional safety. Do I feel safe with you? Can I say something silly and you not call me a name or make fun of me? Can I just be myself without you judging me? And building that safety and that resilience in a relationship is really important. Now, when we have desire differences, let's say you have one partner that wants sex more than the other, maybe that sex want more partner might be the one that goes up there in this kind of scenario to cheat. It might not even be that the sex is bad. It just might be it not happening and not as much as it won't. But so many couples struggle to talk about it, but not just talk about the issue around it to actually say, do I want to do something about it? Because there's this chase and cycle they can get caught up in one's pursuing and one's running and avoiding. And a lot of times that comes down to what our needs are and how honest we're being with ourselves and our own attachment to intimacy, sex and relationships. You mentioned that you kind of got into the sexology space because of your own journey as well. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? Absolutely. Where I grew up is a very small conservative Christian town in Southeast Georgia and very small. Like you definitely didn't talk about sex, much less have it. And so there's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of spiritual shame and a lot of religious guilt that um, unbeknownst kind of got put on, I know, with me growing up and not being super comfortable with myself and relationships, which led me to kind of have to have my own experiences without any guidance or the ability to talk about it. And I always say it's kind of funny. I will go back to my hometown, my hometown and someone will say, oh, Christy, I saw what you posted on Facebook or I just read your book or article. And it'll be someone like a teacher or someone in the school system. And I'll still blush because <laughs> of yeah. what I do, because this just doesn't doesn't happen in my town and it definitely doesn't happen in my family. So just even my own things that come up even now doing this work, if that's happening for me, I know there is so many people out there that has their own maybe embarrassment, shame, or just almost feeling like silliness that comes up when we think about sex and really that role it plays in us. And we're really taught to not talk about it, not get a bad reputation um, and not bring any attention to yourself. And that can definitely lead to really dysfunctional relationships. And I had plenty of those trying to find that healthy relationship that I have now. I've heard, well, and I've experienced myself too, like as you become more and more successful and like maybe you're speaking on stages or you have a podcast or whatever, you still have this fear of like, I don't know, being too out there in the public eye, right? And you're, I'm just talking about taxes, but you're, <laughs> you know, talking about sex and relationships and intimacy. So how did you get over like the embarrassment or shame or guilt? Mm -hmm. What tricks? Yeah, it's funny. Have? I remember when I was going through uh, the the certification program and then going through my doctorate, I was working full-time in my practice. And then I was working through weekends and week-long um, educational focus. And my family and my um, partner's family would say, oh, you've, you're in class all weekend or you got to go to Miami for you know a couple of weeks. What are you doing? What? Oh, relationship. I'm studying relationships. I even noticed I wouldn't say what it was. And I didn't tell my family Actually, I've never even talked, like my family knows what I do. <laughs> I'm talking about immediate family, but I, <laughs> I don't know oh, how's things going in sex therapy. Like that doesn't come up. They know what I do. My whole town knows what I do because of Facebook, but we don't talk about it. And I'm okay with that. Um, and, and I think for myself, it's continuing to pay attention to what's coming up for me. And it's not as if I'm ashamed of what I do. It's just more of putting myself out there and serving and really 
watching other people's reaction, someone else's discomfort and, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that it's so worth it because of, you know, the people that I get to work with every day and the connections that I get to make and the relationships that I get to help people do the, put the work into to, you know, grow and to save. But for my own self, I have to continuously just keep checking myself with where I'm at. I have to say, am I holding back a little bit? Do I not want to post this? Do I not want to share this? Goodness, you know, what's going to happen when I, you know, walk into church on Sunday the next time I'm in my hometown? You know, I'm I'm seeing all the people that I know are following me and sending me the DMs in secret because they don't want to put it out there. So that helps validate yeah. that I am too, I am, you know, actually serving people when I get those kind of messages that they're like, hey, I didn't feel comfortable sharing this on the post, or you said this on the podcast. And so that just really helps really validate the work that I'm doing. So you mentioned that growing up, there was a lot of guilt and shame around sex or even talking about it. And like growing up, my parents just never talked about it. I don't think there was guilt or shame, but it was just like, you don't talk about it. What would be some tips that you would give to parents about how to talk about sex with their kids? And like, when is an appropriate age to even start talking about that? Well, we definitely want to look where they're at with their cognitive understanding and their age. And there's certain, you know, uh, milestones along the ages that you can start talking and introducing that. But don't be afraid to start super early because it's really going to start about the body and the autonomy you have with your body. You're probably already talking to your kids about good touch, bad touch, what's okay, what's not okay. But it's really important to teach them the correct names for their body parts versus the kind of cutesy names. So you want to be able to teach them those anatomical names so that if, if something ever happens, as well as for them to describe maybe what touch they like at some point in the future, that they're connecting with what that is. And just really, you know, helping your kids say, hey, it's okay to come talk with me. This is what we talk about in our house when it's us here and we're, we're talking about this and your questions are okay. Putting literature out there, you know, watching also what your kids are doing online, the best of your ability, kind of seeing, hey, are they exploring something? Can you bring it up in a conversation? Because you're seeing that history or you're seeing that tracking that's happening. Uh, I say it's never too early as long as you kind of meet them where they're at with their development. But too, I think a lot of times parents feel like it's too much. I don't want to give them ideas. I don't want to talk about this because they're going to get, they already know more than we ever will because they grew up with the internet. I know I did not growing up. So don't be fearful that you're going to put an idea in their head or that you're going to give them something to talk about. They already know it 10 times better than we do. So just start having the conversation and know you may feel embarrassed or not sure how to do it. They feel the same way, but at least you can look back and say, hey, I did it. I'm thinking of like our 13 year old. If I were to bring that up, she'd be like, stop, stop, don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So how would you react to that when the kids are just like, oh my God, mom. Yes. Yes. Don't bring this up. Well, I would say, you know what? I know you don't want me to bring this up, but I owe it to you. And I would have loved to have someone to try to talk to me at this age, but we're probably totally different. I get that. I just want to tell you that if you have questions, please let me know if you start exploring or if you've already started exploring, it's okay to talk with me about it and ask me questions so I can make sure you have everything you, you need to stay safe. And speaking of safety, if if I can get you any more information or if we can take a trip to the doctor to talk about, you know, whatever it is as far as what she might be going through, not being afraid to have these conversations and almost do it in a fun way because they're not going to want to hear it, but you can validate them. Say, I know you don't want to hear this. I probably wouldn't have either at 13, but looking back as an adult, I really wish you did. So I owe it to you to talk about safety, especially when it comes to sex and exploration. I like that when you say I owe it to you to talk about that. Yeah. 
it, and it, it'll catch them off guard. Like, wait a minute, what you owe me something? What? And so they may be a little bit less defensiveness and at least maybe dial their hearing in a little bit more. But this is the opportunity to talk about STIs and different types of sex, because I know growing up, I, I heard sex like, okay, well, sex is only, let's just say penetrative sex. That's sex. Oral sex isn't mm-hmm. sex. Like what, what, like what's that difference? And so when you think, and that was the understanding at that age for me. So saying, Hey, there's different things that make up sex. How do you define it? What comes up for you? You think about yourself as a parent, wait a minute, would I define kissing the same way my partner defines kissing? What about cheating? Would I define cheating the same way my partner and having these conversations, if your relationship are important, because these are the conversations you want to also bring to your kids, even talking about cheating. Hey, when you mm-hmm. think about cheating, what I mean, because you're going to be dating or you're dating or involved, does emotional stuff count? Does, you know, following someone on Instagram count? Like, how do you look, teaching them it's okay to have the different conversations and teaching them how to speak up for themselves in those relationships uh, is extremely helpful as they're growing and having these experiences. When you mentioned oral sex, it reminded me of when I was, I think I was like in fifth or sixth grade. My parents were, I was in the back seat. My parents were talking in the front seat in the car and either my mom or dad said a joke and the the punchline was something about oral sex and in my like fifth or sixth grade mind I thought oral sex was just talking about Uh sex like oral traditions you know Uh and then when I found out later what it actually was I was like oh my gosh I'm so stupid (laughs) but but Uh, just just even that comment oh gosh I'm so stupid I'm so silly for thinking about how would we think anything else? Right. Yeah. So it, so I know, you know, kids, like kids these days, they have different experiences than when I grew up and they have a lot more information, but they have a lot of wrong information too. And even though they know a lot more than we do, they still need the conversations and the guidance and almost the permission to be able to talk about it and, and to yeah. really normalize and define it for themselves. Yeah, for sure. So how about money and sex? Do you think that when a couple is having money problems or they're fighting about money, does that affect their intimacy? Absolutely. Because there, we all have, I mean, you know, you talk about this, we have this deep rooted um, connection and sometimes shame around money and talk about how, how hard it is to talk about money coming from kind of how we grew up, our experiences of adulthood, what we had, what we didn't have. And, and all of that's mm-hmm. different for everyone. But when it comes down to a relationship, yeah, two people who are probably struggle with their own thoughts around money and then struggle with to even talk about sex at times. It's definitely a crossover because trust is what comes up. And like I said, trust doesn't, it's not always like, oh, trust, meaning you're cheating on somebody. I don't trust you more of the, the safety. Can I bring up, hey, we have this huge you know, bill that's coming up. We're both going to have to cut back. Can I trust that if I cut back on mine, you do your end, we both are going to be able to meet together with this and do this. So if you're not able to talk about money in, in a way that's healthy for both of you, it's highly likely you're not able to talk about sex the way you deserve to. Because mm-hmm. almost every type of relationship or individual relationships I deal with, it's either communication issues, money, finance issues, and sex. And most of the time, it's all three because they're so connected. And, and, yeah. and it's a great way to say, hey, you know, maybe this is a skill that we work on in our relationship is 
less work on being a little bit more patient, maybe a little less defensive when we're talking about money and because it's also coming up when it comes to our sex life and or the lack that are off because we're not liking each other a whole lot. So of how we're doing things and how we're spending money or how we're not saving money. And so how do I, how do I even think I'm going to be able to be vulnerable with you when it comes to sex? I'm, yeah, I may can check a box and just do it for you. However, you want me to be there hundred percent. I can't because I'm hung up on this other thing right now. And so that crossover keeps so many couples in these chaotic cycles. The Write Off Your Life course is here. We have relaunched it. We added over 110 new videos, over 110 new deductions that you can take in your business. And it's only here for the next 10 days. So go click the link below and get the course and you'll get access to some Q&As with me as well. And of course, you'll save thousands of dollars on your taxes. That just reminded me too of a lot of times in relationships, people have way different spending habits and way different mindsets around money. For example, like in in my marriage, I'm definitely like the spender and I'm more abundant and like I just think money flows more freely. And my husband is like the frugal one and he loves a good budget and you know, things mm-hmm. like that. So that just reminded me like people can also be very different around intimacy and sex in a relationship. And so you were talking about just be more communicative about money, but is that the same thing with sex? If two people like want different things in the bedroom? Yes. And this is going to go back to the trust. You want to work on the ability to trust and communicate one another and do those activities to build trust up. So then it's also going to be easier to have these conversations about sex and intimacy. So we're talking about sex and intimacy is the connection part of it. So when it comes to sex, everyone likes different flavors of like, even when it comes to salsa or hot sauce, like there's all kind of different flavor that we're into sometimes depending on the dish. Same thing when it comes to sex, we all bring our past experiences and maybe our fantasies as well and our current experiences into those relationships. So to be able to talk about them and not personalize what your partner's telling you as if it's like the gospel, if they talk about this fantasy that you're automatically get defensive and say, absolutely not, that's crazy, what's wrong with you? They are maybe just talking about it versus, hey, I want to go do this. And to be able to talk about the fantasies, what you like, what you don't like, what turns you on, most importantly, what turns you off, which we often avoid, which is super important. Having those conversations can help you feel closer. And in when it comes to it, it's to share and then to listen, hold space, because you can't just be the one sharing and dumping. You also got to hold that space so your partner can share without you personalizing and jumping. And you have a book that talks about 25 tips. Go ahead and um, explain more. Yeah. 25 tips for women so we can stop ruining our relationships. And I say that because I'm a big proponent of we get in our own way. And if mm-hmm. we could just work on ourselves and be our healthiest self, our partners will automatically get the best version of ourselves by default. But we come first, maybe figuratively and literally. But with that being said, <laughs> it's that idea that if I work on me, Everybody around me gets my, your 13 year old gets the best version of you when you work on you. And it's a way to kind of bring that empowerment as well as to say, hey, this is why I have to spend this time working on me so I can show up for y'all the way that I need to. And in this book, it's the 25 things most often that we get in our own way about and then how to fix each of those things. I love that. I'm definitely going to read it. So let's talk a little bit about your like entrepreneurial journey as well, because you mentioned 
when you were going back to school for your doctorate, you already had your own practice. Mm -hmm. So what did that look like? Did you always have your own practice? Did you work for someone else for a little bit? Yeah, I worked for other people for many years to get my clinical skills in check. I had the opportunity to work for uh, a dual diagnosis rehab facility for a few years to learn really the basic clinical skills, which was amazing experience and management and and moved up in leadership skills, which taught me more of the business side. And then I was able to work for a private practice for a while in obesity and weight loss management, which was incredible. And then inpatient and outpatient are in um, psych hospitals and facilities across a few states. So really the administrative part of it, I went from the clinical base to a lot of administrative and business space. And then uh, we had another move. We've moved all over the country. So we were moving back out of Louisiana, back to Florida to take care of family at that time. And my partner, he said, why don't you you know, why don't you look at opening your own business when we move back? And I thought, no, I, no, I don't, I'm not an entrepreneur. Don't want to do that. That's not who I am. I just really love helping running facilities because I can help more people that way. And he said, well, think about it. And we literally were sitting in the Lowe's parking lot in Louisiana. And he says, I'm going to go get some moving boxes. We're moving back. You check this.com to see if it's ready because you should open a practice and call it therapy department. Kind of like shoe department does shoes. You do therapy. And I saw on GoDaddy that therapydepartment.com was open. I was like, boom, this is it. And so that was in 2012. And so we moved back, opened the space, and I did counseling. I was doing some speaking events and doing some training and doing some certifications for hospitals and started noticing that there was a huge gap, not just in working with individuals and couples, but I started working with LGBTQIA plus healthcare back when I first started in 2006 in the addiction space. And I thought, well, this is a great opportunity also for me to serve that community that I'm passionate about in a different way than I was already doing through the inpatient units. And so being the entrepreneur and having that space, I got to really grow that area, do a lot more trainings and, and serve that community. And it just really built. I went from, you know, doing speaking events and one-to-ones to doing more groups and then doing more speaking and training and writing. And now it's just evolved. And I went completely from a brick and mortar business to completely online in 2020. So I've been virtual for three years and just kind of travel all over the country and speak worldwide on different areas that needs me. And Having the, wow. the the business to be able to be flexible has been really powerful and incredible personally as well as professionally. We have a similar story. My husband was also the one that was like, we were, oh, so we were moving across the country. Mm-hmm. So same, you were moving yes. as well. Um, but we were moving from North Carolina to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And he was like, why don't you just start your own business? And I was like, light bulb moment. I literally had never thought of it. Um, I just had this like very corporate ladder goal in mind because that's what they teach you in school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe after 10 years, I could become partner at a firm and live that corporate lifestyle. But when he was like, why don't you just start your own business? I was like, hmm. And then like two days later, we had an LLC and EIN number and website and all the all the same things. So that's so funny. How did the transition look for you from going W-2 employee to owning your own business? And how did you work through some of the like self-limiting beliefs? 
Yeah, there was a lot of them because I wanted to go ahead and start as much as I could before we made the trip back. And so we were already starting to pack up in Louisiana and get ready to go. And I had the opportunity to stay about two. Well, there was a hurricane too. And so when you run a hospital, you stay there and work. So I had about two months before he had to move back with work, back to Florida. And so I had two months where I had the opportunity to pick up a whole lot of overtime work hours as well, in addition to my regular full-time job with the company. So I worked and just banked as much money as I could. I worked so much so that I could have that startup money. And um, so when I would have that time at home, I was trying to think, okay, do I need cards? Where's the office space? Let me get on the phone. So I was trying to build it up before I completely let go of that W-2 job because I didn't have savings to start a business. I didn't want to do a business loan. So getting that little bit, I knew I was going to only be able to grow so much. So every time I, I um, would do something, I would look, is this the right investor? I mean, does this make sense? How, what will be my ROI on this? Can I just start out small and grow bigger? So that was one part of it. Coming back cross country or at that time we're coming from Louisiana, getting back and getting settled into that and just building up that caseload, networking the referrals before I was back because I had been gone for two years to try to see how, I, how am I going to build this business up now? And um, kind of word of mouth referrals and doing some marketing Um I don't think I, I don't recall ever saying this isn't going to work because I had worked and tried to bank so much of that money to help me float, but only had like two months to float until I could build up. But I kind of was like, I knew that as hard as I was willing to work, that I could make it. And I'm, I have already a very hard worker. So I was like, well, if I've got to give it 60 hours a week, that's just what it's going to be. If I have to see mm -hmm. 35 clients a week for a while, which I will, crazy, but it worked. And I just stayed at it. And um, I, I knew that it was the right direction for me. And when I had a problem or issue, I'd bump into, I'd make sure I'd research it. I didn't really have anybody to go to um, that I knew that had a business. Uh, so I just tried to do the best I could at researching and writing down problems and figuring out how to solve them. But I knew real quickly that there was more than just the one-to-one -one work because I knew I wanted to serve this other community that I couldn't just serve one-to-one. -one. Um, so I would try things. I would say, hey, I'm going to do this for 30 days and see how it works. I'm going to do this for a quarter. And if it works, I'm going to build it and scale it. So the ability to kind of scale up and grow if, um, evidence of what worked out was really helpful for me in that way. I think that's so important for our listeners to hear, because I think a lot of times online, people are like, just quit your W-2 and start a business, go all in on you. Like, But in reality, most of the time that doesn't work. Most of the time, people don't have enough savings and they can't live their day-to-day -day life and pay their bills and quit their W-2 job. And so I did the same thing. I kept my normal job for a while until I was making more than my W-2 job. So for anyone listening, I feel like do it your own way and whatever you're yes. comfortable with. And having that savings is really, really important too. And how about speaking engagements? I feel like a lot of people listening, they're like, I want to be a speaker like Barbara and I want to be a speaker like you. And now you're on worldwide stages. How did you get like your first speaking engagement? And then how did it grow from there? Well, it's like you said, it, it's a growth process. Uh, I actually started speaking at 15 years old in 4-H. And so me starting at 15 really helped because I had learning that basis of speaking and competing in that. I felt comfortable doing it. Um, I did a lot of free speaking once I opened my practice up. A lot of opportunities locally for to kind of jump out and do. Yes, I was trying to think what my first actually paid. It's kind of wild. I really should have looked back at my timeline. Um, <laughs> a lot of outreach. 
hey, this is what I speak on. Here's what I, here's how I can serve your audience. Here's what I can do. If, if I can support this way, let me know. And it was a very low, I mean, I did a lot of free, but it was very low, probably 100, 100 200 very first events locally to go to and then grew that up as well as with having some of the, the experience behind me and then having some of the educational part, part opened up some new opportunities. But it grew that way, but staying at it. If you're interested in speaking, it's important that you keep up with your contacts and keep up with the reach out and and keeping what helped me too is keeping an online, uh, not online, but an ongoing list of everywhere I spoke and the topic I spoke. So then I could have, whether it was a logo grab, if I wanted to send somebody something, I could show them these are the, the last 30 places I spoke. Um, and the other thing that was helpful, just building the business in general to everyone that when I work with from the business coaching standpoint, that when you start, start a spreadsheet of all the big milestones that you hit even if they seem like small in your business so that you have a business timeline. I know that was helpful for me in looking back to say, Hey, this is where this started, or I started this mastermind here, or I did this training here so that you can kind of keep up with that. But from that speaking perspective is to stay at it, collect your testimonials, keep a, a tracker of opportunities and who to reach out to and get you a couple and be willing to do. And like you said, some people will say, no, you don't do free. Don't give your free away. Well, then I don't know what else you're going to do. If somebody will just pay you a ton of money to go speak in the beginning, probably not. If they don't make sure you're super niche in the area that you want to do and just focus on that and grow that it will come. If you give a memorable experience and you leave that audience with those takeaways that you promise to deliver them and have really good organization around it. I love that. Yeah, we keep we call it a media kit, but you know, mm-hmm. we keep a media kit of all of the speaking engagements yes. and podcasts and all of that, but I haven't done a business timeline. That is a really good idea. So tracking your milestones, which I also think is good too because as an entrepreneur, you're kind of just like, "Oh, I hit that goal next." <laughs> you know, yes. you don't really celebrate your wins. So, yeah, that's a big one. If I didn't have that, if I did not have a business timeline, I wouldn't remember things. And then I take that business timeline and I add it to my Google calendar recur each year. For an example, uh, this month in September, especially September the 1st, I missed it, even though it was on there. Um, 17 years as a clinician and, you know, now celebrating, you know, 2012 open in that practice. Yeah, that was all in September. Thank you very much. And if I didn't have it on there, I wouldn't think anything about it. I wouldn't remember it, but that's great to, as far as just to kind of give myself that, okay, good. This is, you know, I made it year 17, but then also sharing that because then that's a part of showing that I have a little idea of what I'm talking about as I have this much experience. So that's a way also to get new opportunities, whether it's speaking or other type of events to say, hey, this person has this experience and I wouldn't have been able to keep up with that number if I hadn't tracked it. Yeah. I love it. So when did you start your podcast and tell our listeners what it's called so they can find you? Sure. Back in 2019. And it's Fix Yourself First. And with that premise is that if we fix ourselves, it means everyone else gets the best of us with us being the first. And it doesn't mean that we're broken. We need to fix, but no one's perfect. So recognizing that when I do me and I take care of myself, I grow in every area possible. And the the show is to help people learn little bits about themselves so they can take it to their relationships, both personal and professional. I'm obsessed with that topic because I feel like women, especially <laughs> yeah. who are like moms and wives and business mm-hmm. owners, like we give everything. Mm-hmm. And unless we fill our cups up first, we can't 
keep giving to others. And so I love that. But um, I found you on Instagram. So tell everyone where else they can find you. Sure. At Instagram or Facebook, Dr. Christy Overstreet. And um, also a website is drchristyoverstreet.com. The podcast is there and as well as on Instagram and Pinterest. Well, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Barbara. Thanks for having these conversations. You know how hard it is for people to talk about money. I know how hard it is for people to talk about sex. So we, I'm so <laughs> glad we got to cover both of those topics so people can take this yeah. away and maybe have a conversation when they listen to this. Thank you so much. All right. We'll chat soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Changing Money. Don't forget to subscribe. And I would love if you left a review and shared it with your friends. See you next time.